Um, last week we started the series. Dr. Norbeck uh, was speaking to us from Romans 12. He was talking about using our gifts in unity, using them in love, using them in humility. And one of the things that specifically the word humility reminded me of, and in this season with the Olympics having started, I'll admit I'm looking more forward to next week than this week. Those of you who are into swimming and gymnastics think I'm a heretic now, and I will acknowledge that. But I ran track and cross-country in high school and college, and so I am looking forward to the track events next week. But that word humility that Dr. Norbeck was using reminded me of something my coach talked about a lot in college. He talked about having quiet confidence. My freshman year, uh, we were at the national championship meet. We were one of the two favorite teams to win the title. And the other team was really loud and brash. They would yell out to each other across the track and let everyone know where they were at and that they were the best. And we didn't do any of that. We let our feet and lungs speak for us. And so when Dr. Norbeck was talking about humility and using your gifts, I think of that as knowing your gift, knowing how God has created you, using it, but you don't need to hashtag, I'm using my spiritual gift, picture it every single time you use your gift. Um, and the other part of the things that uh, I want to reemphasize from Dr. Norbeck is this is part of making that change from gather to grow. We gather here, and that's important, and we... And we and, Learning about who we are in Christ is important, but growing involves applying that when we leave this building. This morning, we're going to look at another passage from the Apostle Paul, another chapter that has the number 12 in it, but we are going to be in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. I'll be reading that. I'm using the NIV because my smallest Bible for traveling purposes is an NIV, and so if that's not the translation you are currently using, I apologize, but that is what I'm reading this morning. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God. But the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And we see this pattern repeated in verses 4, 5, and 6. Different X, same Y. It's different gifts, different service, different working, but the same Spirit, Lord, and God. Because the enemy is going to want to use this to disunify us, to make us feel like my gift's better or more important or less important, not as useful. And he wants to emphasize that in this case, difference important and good because it can bring unity. I think of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 when I think of this, this part of the passage because Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is talking about it is by grace we are saved through faith, what God did for us. 
that same. Our faith is because of his death and resurrection, his blood shed for us. But verse 10 talks about the works he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to work for him. These gifts that he's talking about here. And in verse 7, he re-emphasizes that these are the manifestation of the Spirit. It's not a manifestation of, of me, but it's of the Spirit, and it's for the common good, that unity that Dr. Norbeck talked about last week. For that common good, to bless others, which is an idea that we have from the beginning of Scripture. When God made his pact with Abraham, it was he was blessing Abraham so that Abraham would bless those around him. How are we doing at blessing those around us and sharing the common good? In the next few verses, Paul's going to talk about the different gifts that we have. Uh, I'll read 8 through 11. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the Holy Spirit, of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. So we have this list. We have message of wisdom, message of knowledge. We have faith. We have gifts of healing. We have miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpreting tongues. But at the very end, he goes back to reemphasize where he started in verse 7. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. These are from God. And he gives, each one, he gives them to each one just as he determines. And that means we're not going to have the entire list of gifts. We shouldn't expect to have the entire list of gifts. And we shouldn't expect everyone to have the same gifts because it's as he determines. Um, in chapter 14, we're not going to get into it today, but in chapter 14, he talks about people wanting different gifts. At the end of this, he talks about, um, at the end of chapter 12, he talks about different body parts being jealous. And this verse is really important because sometimes we can be jealous that I don't sing as good as so-and-so. I don't sing as good as so-and-so. I'm thankful that you kept me muted while we were worshiping. I didn't want anyone watching at home thinking that someone on stage sings as horribly as I do. But we can get jealous, and, and that's the exact opposite of the points of the gifts. And that's how the enemy can use it to create dissension, that I feel like I'm not as talented as someone else, but it might be because I'm not embracing the gift that God has given me. And before we continue in de determining who they are, I actually skipped the slide. I apologize. That's my fault. Um, I want to talk a bit about a difference between a gift and a talent. Because um, talents, everyone's... We can, we're born with talents. We're born with differences. Um, we can have intellectual talents, 
um, there's someone we can uh, think of, intellectually talented. We can have emotional talents for the teenagers and Marvel fans out there. We can have sports talents as are being celebrated in the Olympics and my favorite athlete. And we can have artistic talents. And you don't have to be a Christian or have the Holy Spirit to have intellectual, emotional sports and, and artistic talents. People are, are born with those. They can be developed with years of practice. But a spiritual gift is something that's not from us. It's coming from the Holy Spirit living in us, acting in us. And, and when we, we use it, it allows the body to grow. That, that word I mentioned at the beginning that Dr. Norbeck was emphasizing last week, from gather to grow, it, it can build unity. For example, the first gift in this list is teaching, words of wisdom, words of, of knowledge. Some of you probably had a favorite teacher in elementary school or high school, and that teacher may or may not have been a Christian but that teacher connected with you in a way and it wasn't necessarily a spiritual gifting. When Paul's talking about teaching here, he's talking about someone who can help us understand, specifically the words of knowledge, will be someone who can, if we come and we, we pick up the Bible and we feel like I am reading a rocket ship manual, and I do not get what's going on in this section, someone who comes along and can explain it to us in a way that we understand has that gift of, of, of teaching of knowledge. Because they can put something that contextually might be hard for us because we don't live in ancient Israel. So we don't necessarily understand why, something in the, why they did something different from now. So someone with that gift of that message of knowledge can help us understand and interpret a lot better. Um, words uh, of wisdom is still a teaching thing, but that's more in the application. How do we live it out afterwards? Because someone can have that gift of, of knowledge and help us understand that it's not a rocket ship manual, but they might not be the best at giving us a practical application when we're going home and helping us understand how I apply this to my life. This gift of, of teaching isn't just about head knowledge because, again, as humans, we can learn. We don't need the Holy Spirit to, to grow in our understanding. School has taught us that we can continue developing. But it's about knowing the author, that personal relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit is, is who draws us in to that relationship. Some words of caution about this gift of teaching. James 3.1, James writes that not all of us should desire to be teachers because they'll be judged more harshly. Um, Jesus, teaching his apostles on multiple occasions, including Matthew 18, talks about, "'Woe to you who teach others to sin.'" It would be better for you to have a, a millstone, a grindstone that weighs a whole lot tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea. 
And so we need to be careful with teaching because we don't want to teach wrong. The hard part is, though, that we are all teachers to some degree. We teach with our words and actions around our friends. Parents, we teach with our actions especially around our kids. They will build their habits based on the habits we show them, for better or worse. The next one in the list is faith. And I just mentioned Ephesians 2, that we come to God by faith, and so we all have a measure of faith. But some of us have greater faith than others. It's this being convinced by God, by his word, by your calling, convinced into obedience and using it to encourage others. It's someone who buoys your faith up when you're around them. They might be kind of spiritual entrepreneurs because they have that innate belief that with the Holy Spirit we can. Now, it isn't quite the same to take Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me, out of context and feel like I'm going to go to the Olympics because I can do things through Christ. That's kind of a little different kind of faith. That's taking it out of context. Uh, some of the hardest faith we see in the Bible is Jesus praying in the garden, take this cup from me, but not your will, but my be done. Or not my will, but yours be done, excuse me, heresy. And then obediently walking to the cross. We see this in Acts with Paul being warned that he's going to jail in Jerusalem and intentionally going there anyway. Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter, and it's, it's interesting because the first 34 and a half verses are about faith leading to good stuff, but the last few verses are about those who suffered and never saw the good stuff in the midst of their faith. The next one that Paul mentions here is miracles and healing. Uh, John mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, the last time we were here, I shared a testimony about Marco, his coach, who is having problems with high blood pressure affecting his vision, not being able to see. And as a non-believer, he prayed to God and said, if you'll take this away, I'll do what you want. And God healed him, and he asked God, what do you want? I'm, I'm giving you the real summed up short version, and I'm avoiding the nudity part of the story. For those of you who remember the story, my wife is now covering her face in shame. Um, but God healed him, and he asked God, what do you want me to do? And he felt like God said, follow me, which are Jesus' words to his followers. We can't make this up. And so his coach came to me and asked me to help him follow him. And I've been a part of churches that feel like the miracles of healing and some that we're coming up to were just for the Old Testament church, or for the New Testament church, right after Christ. I've been to other churches who feel like they're alive and well and everyone should be healed. And if you don't have enough faith, that's why you're not healed. So there's in the Christian spectrum, there are some wide ranges of what we believe about these gifts. Um, 
But I can say that with Marco's story and with other teammates that we've had in Costa Rica, we've experienced healings. Not every time. So for the people who say that they've ended, I feel like I have personal examples saying they haven't ended. But for the people who say that if you have enough faith, everything you ask for will be yours, I feel like I have enough examples to say that's not quite true either. And even in Scripture, we see Jesus' prayer in the garden, like I just mentioned, take this cup from me. God didn't take it from him. He had to go to the cross and tie for our sins. Another example would be Paul himself in 2 Corinthians 12. He felt like he had a thorn in the flesh, and three times he asked God to remove it, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And I just, in the previous example, talked about Hebrews 11. We had that list in verses 35 through 40 where all these people suffered for their faith and didn't see what God had fully prepared until they made it to heaven. Ah, that brings me to the third thing I meant to say in the introduction. I did say I would remember it. No one asked me to dress in a shirt and tie. I realize I am overdressed for how people normally preach now. Um, at the end of May, my, my father passed away after three long years uh, of um, suffering post uh, a, brain t a brain, a stroke. Sorry, I was translating from Spanish. Um, and so this is my dad's tie, and I'm just doing it to honor him. I, I will not preach in a tie if I'm ever invited back. But on this trip, we've also been doing some things to honor my dad. Um, we checked out several Garth Brooks albums, because I don't own any of them, but that was something my dad loved. And one of the songs we listened to in the car rides with uh, the kids was Unanswered Prayers. And it's a song about how, as a high schooler, he had prayed to marry this certain girl. And 20 years later, he ran into her again, and he thought back about how he, God said no to that girl and gave him a different wife, and how different his life has been, and how her life has been. And he thanked God for saying no to that prayer request, but providing something different and better and along the lines of God's plan for his life. In those three years after my dad's um, stroke, I prayed many times for God to heal him. But my, my definition of healing was a little different because I would love for him to be healed here on this earth, but I was totally okay with him being healed in heaven. Philippians 1.21, Paul writes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oftentimes we fight for life. I'm not saying we should all go like lemmings and throw ourselves off of a cliff. That's not my point. But if we're sure of where we're going, if we're confident in our faith, we have nothing to fear. And I was confident in my father's faith. And so I knew that when God brought him home, that was his homecoming. And he is healed. The next one on the list is discernment between truth and heresy, when I misquoted a verse earlier. 
um, between angels and demons, between several good choices that we might have before us at a certain point in time. Between a choice that's going to bring peace and unity or a choice that's going to bring division. Now, again, like teaching, all of us practice discernment to some degree. Caroline talked about our discerning process a bit about this church plant. Uh, it started in April, and we had five couples praying with us. And when everyone, after a month, felt like God was saying yes, I brought it to the elders at our church. And between the month between elders' meetings, everyone prayed, and they came all, everyone came back and said yes. And so our discernment process was taking a bit of time. But someone with the gift of discernment is a lot quicker in that process. And they can draw our attention to something so that we can be, as a group, praying about it or thinking about it or seeing it through their eyes or through God's eyes. The next one on the list is prophecy. And oftentimes, um, we can think of prophecy as in someone predicting, my go-to joke before 2016 was when the Cubs are going to win the World Series. That has now happened, but things have gotten worse again, so maybe it'll be another 108 years. But the examples we see in Scripture are a little bit different than when the Cubs are going to win the World Series. Um, I'm going to read a... a f well, in, I'm sorry. In Acts, we see God telling them where to go when they're being sent out who to invest in, who are the people of peace in each town, who to shepherd, who to evangelize, where and when. We, we read in how God is closing doors to certain ways. But a different example in Acts is Agabus predicting the famine. So it's not just who and where to invest, which is really important, but there's also a part of what's going to happen in, in the world. But the key is, when Agabus is predicting the famine, it's so that the church can be prepared to serve those around, to send food to Jerusalem. And we even see that in the Old Testament. When Joseph was sold by his brothers, and he had the dreams of the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine to be prepared to bless those around. And so I want to define prophecy a little bit different, maybe, than what you've seen. Let's, let's go to 1 Peter 1. First Peter 1 Peter 1.16, Peter writes, For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. And now, we might be thinking holy as in dressed in white, perfectly clean, our little halo above our heads. But another definition of holy is set apart. Be set apart because I am set apart. Do you have things in your house that are set apart for a special occasion? You do. You might not think of all of them. 
If you play any sports, you probably have a pair of shoes that are set apart or other gear that are set apart for that. Um, you have special set-apart work clothes. I have my set-apart tie to preach in this morning. But prophecy might be part of that reminder of how we're set apart for God. In the chapter, uh, I've been mostly in 1 Corinthians 12, in chapter 11, Paul was writing about the Lord's Supper, and in verse 25 he says, In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The new covenant in my blood. The first Sunday of each month, we take communion together usually. Do we remember that that's a covenant with God? And usually in a covenant, there are two parts. What each part who is taking part in the covenant is committing to. And God committed to giving his death and life for us, his blood, so that we might have eternal life. But we committed to something too. And I mentioned that earlier in Ephesians 2.10, to live for him. I mentioned it in, first, in um, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. So prophecy might be a part of reminding each other that we need to be living for him. Because the prophets in the Old Testament were reminding the people that they weren't honoring the covenant. They weren't honoring their relationship with God. They were sacrificing the idols. They were doing all kinds of sin. And our idols have changed, but they're still there. Sins are a little different, but we still struggle with them. Someone with the gift of prophecy might be a really good accountability partner or a really bad accountability partner if you don't want to be held accountable. But there's someone who can remind us of what our pact, our covenant with God looked like. And they do it for the common good. Um, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to spend an entire chapter on prophecy in tongues. And I want to read a little bit about that because, again, those are some of the more controversial ones and how different churches apply them. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That sounds pretty similar to why we have the gifts in the first place, for the common good, to grow. So when we prophesy, we need to keep how God intended that in mind. Because in the different churches we've worked with in Costa Rica, I've seen this applied in a very different way. One of my least favorite, or favorite, depending on how you want to put it, examples is um, a student arrived late to go to a, uh, a youth group trip. We were going to on an evangelism trip to the southern part of the country, and 
one of the other leaders who had the gift of prophecy said, I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me that for being late, you're going to wash the dishes for the entire trip. Was that for his strengthening, encouragement, and comfort? Or was that just blaming a punishment on the Holy Spirit? Because if you want to punish with washing the dishes, just say it. Otherwise, we're manipulating and saying something's coming from the Holy Spirit when really it's coming from us. The final one there is the, the speaking interpretation of tongues. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's going to define this in two different ways. Um, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So tongues are a sign for unbelievers. In Acts, we see that specifically in Acts 2. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, they spoke in tongues, and everyone in Jerusalem heard them speaking in their own language. And so one of the interpretations of the gift of tongues is to be able to evangelize with someone that you don't share a common language with. And if that's your gifting, that's great, but if you're practicing it in this room with a bunch of English speakers, you have a common language with them. If this is your gifting, you need to be getting out of your comfort zone into people groups that you don't share a common language with. Because here, it is specifically used as evangelism for people that you don't share a language with. Now, Caroline once thought I had the gift of tongues. I did not. We were in our first few months of living in Costa Rica, and our church asked me to pray in front of the church, and we were language students at the time. Our Spanish wasn't super great, but I got up there and I prayed, and Caroline said, that was crazy. How did you speak so fast? I've never heard you speak Spanish so fast. And I said, I was nervous. So it wasn't a gift of tongues. We've studied Spanish. But in that instance, Caroline thought I had it. The other definition we have in 1 Corinthians 14 is it's a language of worship. Now let's read verses 13 through 17. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving? Since he does not know what you are saying, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. And here he's talking about speaking in tongues as a form of worship. And it is. That is a second definition of speaking in tongues. But he's also warning that if you're speaking in tongues, it might not edify those around you. Again, I, I, earlier I mentioned the extreme churches, people who feel like all, some of these have ceased and people who feel like everyone has to have everything. I've been in churches in Latin America that 
feel like everyone should speak in tongues. Um, I feel like this chapter of their Bible is missing. But it's clear that it's that there is speaking in tongues, but there's also interpretation. And you can speak in tongues in worship, and that's great. That edifies God, that edifies your relationship with God, but it doesn't necessarily edify those around you. In verses 27 and 28, uh, Paul adds, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Again, that idea of worship, speaking to himself and God, but here the speaking in tongues can edify others if there is interpretation. Living in a different culture, we often have interpreters at different points in time. I've interpreted for, for Americans who've come to Costa Rica to share, and that's edified the body. I've also spoken in other cultures where I didn't speak the language and had an interpreter, and it can edify the body as well. But me getting up front and sharing for 35 minutes with no interpreter would put everyone to sleep or have them just leave. And again, another verse in, verse four, in chapter 14, verse 12 Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. That idea, again, of these gifts are for unity. That idea that we saw in verse 7, for the good of the body of Christ. Because we're broken and we're in need of the help of others. A picture I want to share with you uh, comes from Japanese culture since the Olympics are there. This is Kintsugi. I apologize if I am murdering the pronunciation of that. I don't have the gift of tongues. We've already established this. But it's, they would take broken pottery and use gold to reform it. And that's kind of a great image of us as the body of Christ, because Christ is that gold. The Holy Spirit is that gold binding us together to be a useful vessel for his kingdom again. We are broken and we are in need and help, but together with the Holy Spirit uniting us, we can help others. And I've read from 1 Corinthians 11, 12, and 14, and I might have skipped over a chapter that you're more familiar with. Chapter 13 is in the midst of all this reminding us of love. And specifically, the first four verses talk about if you have gift X, Y, and Z, but don't use it in love, it is worth nothing. I remember when I was in seventh grade in junior high Sunday school, it was the first time I paid attention to a lesson on spiritual gifts. And uh, in chapter 12, at the end, he talks about how we're different parts of the body, eyes, hands, feet, ears. And at the end of the lesson, the the Sunday school teacher asked us as junior hires, which part of the body did we feel like? And we all had to answer, which in junior high being forced to answer is awesome. 
And I said I felt like the big toe. I knew I was kind of necessary, but I didn't feel very necessary. And I didn't know what my giftings were yet. Uh, as an adult, having stepped on Legos and having broken my big toe, I realized how much more necessary it is than I thought as a junior high boy. But back then, I didn't realize it. Maybe you feel like I did in junior high in the sense that you don't know your giftings yet. Mark already mentioned that if you didn't get one of the tests last week, there's, there's more available. And maybe you feel like that big toe like I do because you don't know. And maybe that's your application today, learning more about what my gifting is. Maybe your application is you don't know Christ. You haven't started in that personal relationship with him. You haven't accepted him as your savior. A third application might be, I know my gifts, and I'm not really using them. I like this gather thing. It's fun to gather, but I don't really want to take those steps to grow yet. And that's your step of faith and obedience. Maybe you know your gifts really well and you use them well. And your step of faith is to help others start to use theirs, to call them alongside you to be using theirs. Caroline mentioned that we're doing that with these two couples as we go to plant a church. Maybe God's even calling you to start a ministry that the church doesn't have. But that calling isn't necessarily that Todd has to start that ministry or the elders have to start that ministry. Maybe that burdens on your heart because you're supposed to start that ministry. Let's pray. Poppy, we thank you today for the chance to gather together. We thank you for that word and how your word draws us to be in community, to build up your body. And we thank you for that chance to build it up here. But Poppy, you also call us to bless others and to use our gifts for the common good. Help us use them within this building, within this body of Christ, but call others to join you. May we use our gifts with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends. Help us take steps of faith and obedience and use our gifts when we're uncomfortable, knowing that you will meet us there in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.